Hi everyone and welcome to Superwoman Wellness. I'm Dr. Taz. I've made it my mission throughout my career in integrative medicine to support women in restoring their health using a blend of Eastern medical wisdom with modern science. In this show, I will guide you through different practices to find your power type and fully embody the healthiest and most passionate version of you. I'm here for you and I can't wait to get started. This is a Soul Fire production. Welcome back everyone. Welcome back to another episode of Superwoman Wellness where you know I am determined to bring you back to your superpowered self. We talk about a lot on this show. We talk about chemistry, we talk about parenting, we talk about our hormones, but sometimes we don't spend enough energy and time talking about our mindset and how to shift it and how to change it. And it's such an important topic, one that I am right in the middle of because I know that I have work to do. So I have brought in Dr. Diana Hill. I am thrilled to have her. She is here from Santa Barbara joining us today. She's a clinical psychologist, a fellow podcaster, an expert in ACT, acceptance and commitment therapy, a cutting edge evidence-based form of psychotherapy that helps people develop psychological flexibility. That's the test, guys. Memorize that. Diana's new book, which she co-authored with Dr. Debbie Sorensen, is ACT Daily Journal, which breaks psychological flexibility into an eight-week program to help as we rebuild and re-enter our lives. Welcome to the show, Dr. Diana. I'm thrilled to have you here. It's wonderful to be here. I'm excited to talk with you about ACT and flexibility and also just how to thrive in our daily lives and the role that psychology plays in that. Well, you know, uh, this show is called Superwoman Wellness, and the whole superwoman thing is a little tongue-in-cheek because I think women today are juggling so much. And I think that we are all striving. We're all trying to do and perform. I think I looked at an article, it was this morning, and it was talking about how coming out of the pandemic, there's so many women-led businesses now. And the trap for many of us is that we get stuck in doing and doing and doing and to the point where we develop what I've been calling superwoman syndrome where we just sort of collapse and we engage in health behaviors that ultimately really have health consequences. How is this concept of psychological flexibility something that can help us as women or even help anybody out there as they're navigating that balance of trying to accomplish and do and, and do great things and you know solve all the world problems but at the same time keep themselves in one piece? Sure. Well, psychological flexibility, the way that I like to look at it is sort of like six sides of a Rubik's cube. Mm. It has six core processes or ways of being in the world that help you be able to be more present in your life, get clear and aligned with what matters to you, and then take committed action towards what matters to you while staying present and kind of letting go of the outcome a little bit, tending more to the process. Sort of like a Rubik's cube. If you get the Rubik's cube perfect, then you don't want anyone to touch it, right? Because it's too perfect, you put it on the shelf, but it's actually the tinkering with it. It's the the moving around these processes that really creates a lot of engagement and sense of vitality, right? So with psychological flexibility, you start to develop a skill set. And what's been shown through some research in over 600 clinical trials at this point, when you are more psychologically flexible, you're a more effective parent. There was actually some research on psychological flexibility during COVID that psychologically flexible parents were better to um, engage in positive parenting practices, less spillover effects of stress. 
they're also using some of these skills with Olympic athletes, high performance uh, athletes, as well as in the workplace. But it's also beneficial for things like anxiety and burnout and depression. And when we think about, I mean, I love that word striving. It's actually something that I've been writing about a lot and thinking about a lot in my own life. When we think about striving, sometimes striving can be actually an avoidance strategy. Hmm. It can actually be like a way of avoiding difficult feelings, emotions. And sometimes striving can be oriented towards what we what we care about. So a psychological flexibility is a getting about more clarity around what you care about and orienting your action to be in line with that. How do we know if we're psychologically flexible or not? Are there certain traits of the person that is? Is there a way to identify it? And even the reverse question, like, how do we know when we're not? Sure. Maybe I could go through those six sides. Yeah, let's go through it. I love could, it. I love that analogy. Explore. That's a great yeah. analogy. So yeah, And, and just it. like a Rubik's Cube, they also influence each other. So when you're working on one, it influences the other. So the first thing is, how present are you in your life? So being present is one of the core processes of psychological flexibility. And for many of us, we find that we're moving through our lives, but we don't feel like we're in our lives. Mm. We're doing a lot, but we're not engaging in being a human being of, and being present where it matters to you, right? So being able to be present when your partner is showing up to have an important conversation with you or when your friend is calling or when you're with your kids, how present are you? Are you in your head mm. or in, you, are in your life? The second core process of psychological flexibility has to do with acceptance. And oftentimes with clients, I won't use the word acceptance as much as I'll use the words like curious or open or allowing. And what we're finding and what you know, I think people haven't noticed in their own experience is that when you are shut down to the pain or discomfort of living, it causes you to become inflexible. And the ways in which we shut down or avoid pain are things like distracting, numbing out, trying to think about something else, using substances, doing is a form of distraction mm. I um, and avoidance. I sometimes rush through things because it's uncomfortable to be in them. Mm. So with acceptance, you're you're opening up and allowing the discomfort that can show up and actually it tends to show up when you're doing meaningful work the more that you care about something the more likely you are actually to experience discomfort around it hmm, interesting. so yeah so that's the second one and then the third one is getting clear on what matters to you your personal chosen values so how well do you feel like you are aligned in your life engaging in the important domains of your life in the way that you would want to be so what kind of parent do you want to be? What kind of partner do you want to be? What kind of human do you want to be? And are you feeling like you're lining up with that on a daily basis? Or do you feel like you're a little bit out of tune, like a musician that gets, you know, their instruments get out of tune. You can kind of tell for yourself and it's really personal. It's a tuning in to know that what when you feel aligned or not. So getting clear on your values and what that would look like. And then the fourth one has to do with our thoughts. And what's interesting is that for a long time, psychology had this approach to thoughts of like, we're going to replace thoughts or we're going to identify a thought as maladaptive. But in ACT, what you're doing is you're getting distance from your thoughts so that you can decide whether or not they are helpful to you. Huh. Our mind is constantly producing thoughts. All the time. And all the time. And a lot of the time, if you could even like imagine you have an unhelpful thought, like a self-critical thought written across your hand. A lot of the time we spend our lives like this, like our thoughts are right up in front of our eyes and we can't even 
tell the difference between what's a thought versus just believing it as the truth. And so with ACT, what we do is we take that thought and get a little bit of space from it so that you can choose to look at your thought is it helpful to me or not? But you could also choose to be engaged with the world around you. Hmm. And notice that I didn't like take my hand and wrap it behind my back or write something different on my hand or chop my hand off because we can't really get rid of thoughts. But what we can do is cognitively diffuse from them. So that's the fourth one is how caught up are you with your thoughts? And then the fifth one is being able to take perspective on yourself being able to take perspective on others, being able to get behind the eyes of another. And perspective taking is key to things like empathy. Um, it's key to you know, being able to engage in healthy relationships, but also be able to take perspective on the, your own self story of what are you caught up in, your beliefs that we sort of walk around with and we never question. And is taking committed action, which is using some behavioral science around habit formation and uh, being able to design, be the designer of your life so that it lines up with what you care about. So those are the six sides of that Rubik's Cube. Yeah. So it's fascinating. But if I'm trying to truly, like I was thinking about the thought piece of it, that fourth one, it sounds easier said than done. Like, how do you cognitively diffuse a thought? How do you take that thought from you know, rumbling up in here constantly, eating you up at night, maybe problem solving your way through maybe something that's popped up in your life or your business. How do you take that thought and diffuse it? How, how do you get there? I think that's where so many people struggle with, you know, how do we get to that point of being able to do that? Yeah, there's a number of different strategies that you can use. And actually, even just the basics of mindfulness of being aware of thoughts, you are actually diffusing them at that point in time. Mm. Because once you start to notice that my mind is creating thought, then you can start to be aware that I am not my thought. I am an observer that's observing a thought, right? So that's the first very simple one is just noticing that you are not your thought. But another another way that we, we get really playful with it in the book that Debbie Sorensen and I wrote, and we get playful with it in the sense that you could also start to do things like, hmm, if I were to write that thought out with my left hand, would it lose some of its, or my non-dominant hand? Would it lose some of its power? If I, if I wrote the thought in like big bubble letters, would it lose some of its power? Starting to realize that thoughts are just words or even labeling thoughts. I'm having the thought that. Something like as simple as I am anxious, we could say I'm having the feeling that I'm anxious, right? Mm -hmm. Or I'm, I'm a loser. I'm having the thought that I'm a loser. It gives just that little space in there so that you can start to maybe not take your thoughts so seriously because the human mind is just going to constantly produce thoughts. That's just what it does. And it tends to have a negativity bias given our evolutionary history. It also tends to have a little bit of a ruminative quality to it. Mm -hmm. And what's interesting is um, some of the research on uh, things like worry is, and this comes from Jed Brewer, who's a neuroscientist that I, that I uh, interviewed on Psychologist Off the Clock podcast, but something like worry is actually our attempts to problem solve when we're getting caught up in our thought, we think we're doing something about the thing we're worried about. But actually what it does is it derails you from feeling what you need to feel, accepting mm. and allowing the thing that you are, are worrying about. Worry never gets you, very rarely gets you any further along the line of, of solving the problem that you're worried about. So starting to notice the unhelpfulness of getting caught up in our thoughts, noticing when you're caught, coming back to your body, coming back to the present moment and letting thoughts just move through. Wow, so is that, as all of this, are these six pieces all a part of ACT? 
uh, yes. therapy. So talk to us a little bit about ACT and, and how that fits in. Sure. Well, ACT, Acceptance and Commitment Therapy, or if you're using it outside of a therapy setting, it's called Acceptance and Commitment Training. Mm -hmm. And it's uh, it's a modern approach to therapy. And what I think people find when they start, at least for me, when they start learning, when I started learning ACT is that it has a lot of resonance of things that I, I've heard before. <laughs> You know, like we have some mindfulness, we have right. a lot of these Eastern principles, even this idea of perspective taking and having a more transcendent sense of self, you know, being able to step into a bigger, more interconnected sense of self is resonant of some wisdom traditions, right? right. And then it also has, you know, the, some of the behavioral science committed action. And it's been researched a, a lot in a lot of different domains. So ACT is now one of the primary treatments used for chronic pain. It was just accepted by the um, United Kingdom's NICE guidelines for chronic pain. It's one of the primary treatments used in the VA for PTSD. Mm -hmm. And then, like I said, it's being used with like Olympic athletes, right? So it's used across the board for a lot of different issues, mainly because it's just about human functioning and human flourishing. What does it take to flourish as a human? We need to be adaptable. We need to be able to stay present even when we're kind of flooded, right? Like how to get grounded and present. We need to be able to have clarity and discernment around what's important here. So whether that's you with working with, with your kids or that's you in like a high stress setting at work, what really matters here? How do I want to be? How do I want to show up in the world? And ACT teaches these skills. It was co-founded by uh, Stephen Hayes, Kirk Strassel, and Kelly Wilson uh, many, many decades ago. And the research has just been skyrocketing more recently. But what I have gotten interested in is how to take these principles that are coming in from ACT, but also make them a little bit more applicable to our daily lives. Right. And, and also incorporating some of my own my own interest in, in yoga, my own interest in um, more kind of like an integrative ecosystem or eco psychology approach to living. So that's where I go with it. And where Debbie and I wrote the book is, is really about breaking it down so that people can practice it, try it on and learn these six core processes in combination with self-compassion and intentional use of time, which is how we start the program, because I really see compassion, self-compassion is like the big blanket around all, all of it to start there. Yeah. yeah. So do you see this as something, you know, thinking about our audience out there and many of you guys listening today are watching our moms or your running a business or you're navigating the many different responsibilities that any woman has on her plate at any given moment, you know, where would somebody like that begin? Like I'm thinking about my day to day, which uh, my today, which I had all planned out. This always happens. It was all planned out perfectly. And I was going to have my time to get some projects done and have my thinking time. And sure enough, there was an incident yesterday at my son's camp. So I had to pull him out of the camp and he was sort of with me and, and came with me to, to work to, you know, do a couple of things. But of course I'm distracted, right? Because he's with me the whole time and it's thrown off everything I was supposed to get done that day. So there's this frustration that I couldn't get my list done. You know, so many women I talk to are just like that, right? And it's this constant like hum of stuff going on and then having to uh, adjust for the people in our lives because we want to, we wanna be there and we wanna be responsive in those situations, but the worry continues and the, the list making continues. You know, what would you say, where do we start? Where do, where do people like us start when we're trying to kind of grapple with this and separate ourselves a little bit from all our crazy thoughts and all our crazy doing? You know, what's probably the first thing we should all be doing? 
Well, I think the first place is, is self-compassion. Um, because what you're describing is, like you said, this is an experience that many women, I say, would say women in particular are mm -hmm. having, especially, you know, folks that are navigating working, working, having kids, just, I don't know any day that goes as planned. Right. <laughs> you know, it, just, it usually doesn't go as planned. And, right. and if I'm fighting that every single day versus being like, wow, this is hard. Uh, so Kristen Neff is one of the uh, lead researchers in, in self-compassion. I actually just interviewed her for um, for a podcast I was doing and mm -hmm. her new book out is called Fierce Self-Compassion mm -hmm. and it's for women. Mm -hmm. And it's about really that self-compassion is not only about turning towards ourselves with tenderness and gentleness and seeing the mindfulness, common humanity and uh, really kindness that we need in those moments, but it's also about that mother bear energy, which is fierce. Mm -hmm which is about like, I'm going to protect. I'm going to, right now, I got to get my kid out of camp. <laughs> I got to mm -hmm. do what matters here. I also need to protect my own self-care. I need to protect my own, you know, my, my workspace and make sure this doesn't completely, like my whole day doesn't completely unravel because right. there's things I need to do in my day. And that's where kind of getting clear on, okay, I'm going to pause and be, and, and be with myself and, and say, this is hard and I'm here. I'm not going to leave your side. And when my self-critic shows up, because it will, because my self-critic all the time says, I, at any point in time, I'm a bad mom or I'm a bad therapist or yeah. my house is a mess or I'm a, now I'm a bad wife because I've been tending to those other three things. Like no matter right. what, right. one domain is not looking good right. that I can really practice. Like this is hard and I'm here for you and I'm not going to abandon you. And also what would be an encouraging inner advisor, a coach that I would need to show up that would show up for me in the way that I'm showing up for my kids. Like, could I use that same tone of voice that I'm using mm, for my voice? Like yeah. So I would start, I think self-compassion is, is the, the beginning of it all. And then we get present right here, right now. And we get present where it matters. What, you know, how can I be not off in my head, but see my kid? right mm -hmm. or see my or be i'm present with you right now i got all sorts of chaos going on in my the back right. of my house but but i'm but i'm present with you and i'm here now because this is this is what's important in this moment and then we can shift gears when the next moment arises so mm -hmm. those would be some of the basics and i would say those are like sometimes i in in yoga before i teach a, a balance pose a, a root so like get your roots deep and just like a tree that with the big winds come and mm -hmm. and rustle the the branches if you've got a strong trunk and deep roots you you've got this and so oftentimes i think of the self-care self-compassion values and being present as our roots and then from there we can be more flexible in responding to life oh i like that i like yeah. that idea of the tree and our root is self-compassion self-care it's so true right like so many of us will neglect that aspect thinking we're going to be more productive or get more done, but in actuality, we're doing an incredible disservice. So I, I love that imagery. I think that's so relevant. And you're a yoga instructor as well, as you mentioned. What are some of the yogic principles of ACT that you've brought in, you know, that again, somebody at home could practice every single day? Well, one of my favorites is just the very simple effort and surrender. And that, so in, in yoga, there's always sort of this, this, this balance of both, like the duality that mm -hmm. you can both put effort into something and then also surrender at the same time. And what does that look like in our life that oftentimes for me, that's about tending to the process and putting 
putting my best effort, my best, my best intention into whatever I am doing, but then surrendering a little bit of the outcome. Because what we know from psychology is that actually a fixed mindset, this is actually from Carol Dweck's work that's been going on for like three decades now. A fixed mindset is I'm trying to get to some point, some end point. And when I get there, then I'll be done. But the reality is that that is not what life looks like. There is never an endpoint. Actually, by the time we get to that endpoint, the goalpost has moved. So instead, I focus on the effort right here, right now, surrendering the, the outcome of it, but putting the effort into how do I want to be in this moment? What are the qualities of action, the values that I want to bring? So that's one um, aspect is paying more attention to process than to outcome. And mm -hmm. when we do that, when you pay more attention to process, so even like with our kids, paying attention to this is part of the process of parenting is picking up your kid in the middle of the day when you weren't experiencing how, how am I going to be when I pick them up? Right. And when am I modeling or her? I don't remember if you said it was your son or your My daughter. little boy. Yeah. Little boy. And what am I modeling in that? Right. How am I modeling psychologically? flexibility to my kids mm. in picking them up in the day. What kind of language am I using? How am I, am I even just, sometimes we think that we need more time, but it's actually not that we need more time. It's that we need to use our time more intentionally mm. and that we're trying to go through life faster to get to some endpoint when we'll have more time, as opposed to tending to the process of our lives right now and enriching what, whatever we're in whether that's a pandemic or it's a vacation, because I've been on many vacations where I've been miserable. Hmm. <laughs> so it's not necessarily the context that needs to change in order for us to feel more engaged and alive, alive in our lives. I love that. And now, you know, so thinking through that, let's say we are deliberate, like I, for one, will be deliberate about thinking about self-compassion thinking about this idea of diffusing my thoughts to a certain extent, thinking about that trunk that you were describing and being more present. But let's say we get halfway through the day and it's piling up a day like today, it starts to pile up, right? You know, is there a place to return to? Do you believe in creating a saying or a image or something that we can keep returning back to, to, to redirect? Because the mind has been trained now for a period of time, right? To like react, 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 like problem solve, react, you know, sort of this popcorn mind that many of us have now. So what, what are kind of like the midday reminders to bring us back to center uh, when we're thinking about the ACT model? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I think of it as there's many choice points along the way. That's sort of what you're describing. And, and uh, the, the moments when you notice that you've gone awry each one of those moments is, is an opportunity to return, right? So to return back to just the simple parts of what, what matters most right now. What matters most, really what matters most. And yeah, I mean, I live in a, I live in a canyon here and we, in Santa Barbara, and we have all these pretty much every year now we have wildfires. And uh, I remember during the really big wildfires uh, two, a couple of years ago, packing up my kids and they each got a little shoebox, And I said, okay, you can put, a few things in here and we gathered a few things and I drove away from our house with our kids in the back and their shoe boxes. Right. And I remember looking back at my house and, and really believing what matters most is in this car because everything that seems so important right. the week before was no longer important. And, and many of us have experienced that, right. That these wake up times and we don't have to wait for a, you know, a health diagnosis or, a, you know, fire to come through or someone to get ill 
to, to get clear on what matters most, but we can do that throughout our day. So we start with what matters most right now and what can, what can we let go of? And then we can also practice opening up and allowing the discomfort of living because living is uncomfortable. This is one of the, the noble truths, right? Mm-hmm. Like it's yeah. uncomfortable and it's actually our resistance to the discomfort, our attempts to control, our attempts to fix, our attempts to manage that can cause a lot of our, our suffering. So there's mm-hmm. an allowing, how can I allow with my belly? Just relaxing through the belly. Women are taught to keep their bellies in. I am yeah. like, let go of your belly. <laughs> Make space in your belly, breathe in your belly, find actually the center, right? The place right below your belly button is a great place to find some like source of energy and focus your mind there. When your head is just going wild on you, I can find my trunk right there in my belly. Mm. We can also practice um, kind of this one eye in, one eye out exercise that I like to do with folks, which is if we're two eyes in and we're too consumed with ourselves, Sometimes it's helpful to have two eyes out. Like, what do I see? What do I hear? Can I feel connected to something bigger? Can I look at the horizon? And actually there's some research on um, looking at the horizon activates more allocentric parts of the brain. Rick Hansen's Mm. written about this in Neurodharma. Mm. So that it makes you feel like like more of an interconnected feeling, like you're part of a greater whole. It's also really good for your eyes to look at the horizon. It relaxes your eyes a little bit. Uh, So... (laughs) to do that from time to time but then if you're two eyes out maybe you're so out in the world focusing on everything around you and you haven't done any degree of embodiment check on check in it can be helpful to turn two eyes in Hmm. what's going on in my body what are my basic needs now am i hungry do i have to go to the bathroom do i feel physical pain are there emotions that are all like causing tightness and tension that i can open up and allow to be there and then we can eventually practice one eye in and one eye out so that as you and I are having this conversation, Dr. Taz, I am seeing you and I'm aware of you and I'm aware of the audience that's listening and the room around me, but I'm also aware of what's happening inside of my own body mm, when I, I am that. and when I out. Yeah. So that's, that's another good. great, simple practice. Yeah. I love that. I think this is a tool that, again, a great visual that we can kind of take with us wherever we go. Well, if we want to learn more about ACT and about you, what is the best way to kind of go about that. And I'm curious about the journal too, that you wrote with your co-author. Tell us a little bit about that as well. Yeah, I was just looking for it. So this is the ACT Daily Journal and it's a, uh, it's an eight week program and it walks you through these six core processes, just a little day by day, like five minutes a day of practice so that working parents or busy people can mm-hmm. actually do it. Cause I often start things and never finish them because I'm yep. too busy. So this is actually, you could do it in three minutes a day. Uh, and you can find more about me at drdianahill.com. If you go to drdianahill.com slash extras, I have some freebies there where I have some meditations. I also have uh, 21 days of act where I just give little prompts, a little b- booklet. And I, I offer a lot of stuff. I do teachings every Tuesday night. I'm often doing workshops. I do a lot on Instagram at, at Dr. Diana Hill. And awesome. the best place to learn more about that is just to get on my, my email list and I'll send you what I'm up to as I go along the way. That's all incredible information. I have one final question before we let you go because I've been debating this one a whole lot. So this whole thought versus feeling business, when we're thinking about attraction and abundance and bringing things authentically into our lives does the act process some of these tools that you've given us and talked about today does that help us shift not only our thoughts but change how we feel sure i mean i think that it can change how you feel but also how you relate to your feelings right and seeing that i actually believe that all feelings have information in them 
Mm. And so even the painful stuff that shows up can point to what we care about. I think about, you know, with my kids, I've never felt more pain than, than being a mom. Yeah. <laughs> and so that that's because I don't care about things as much as I care about being right. a mom, right? So, right. or similar stuff with my clinical work. So I think ACT can help you see um, your full your full experience as, as a resource. And then you can use that to guide where you want to go in your life. What kind of life do you want to build? And that that's personal and chosen by you. What what seeds do you want to water, as Thich Nhat Hanh would say? What mm. seeds do you want? And then what, what seeds do you want to lay fallow? Mm. And some things just aren't worth your attention, aren't worth your energy. And a lot of times we're spending a lot of energy on like weeding stuff that we don't need to be weeding instead of watering the stuff that we want to grow in our life. I love that. Well, thank you so much, Dr. Diana, for joining us today. We really appreciate it. Again, ACT, Psychological Flexibility. Hopefully you guys understand that term now. I know I'm going to start to practice some of these things like self-compassion for sure. I think that's a great starting point. So thank you for joining us and sharing your wisdom and your insight with us. And again, she listed out all the different places that you can connect with her on Instagram, on her website, and all the extra tools and treats she has on there as well. And for everyone out there, thank you for watching or listening to this episode of Superwoman Wellness. Remember, you can rate and review it and share it with your friends. We're on Apple iTunes, Spotify, everywhere you can find podcasts, and I will see you guys next time.